Hey, uh, good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Jason Lowen. I'm the strategy pastor here at Grumlaw. I'm also a church planting apprentice, uh, Union Church. We're super excited. It's going to be launching on February 14th of 2021. That's right, Valentine's Day. Uh, and this morning, we're wrapping up this series, Didn't See It Coming. And there's so much uh, in, in our lives that, that just takes us by surprise. You know, when our, when our family, when we moved here uh, from Flint to be closer to family, uh, and, then, and then God like called us to plant Union Church. I mean, that was definitely one of those didn't see it coming sort of moments. Uh, and then we ran into a, a former classmate of Laura's, uh, someone who she went to middle school and high school with. And now his family is moving here from Pittsburgh to Flint to help us plant Union Church. I mean, definitely a didn't see it coming sort of moment for, our, for both of our families. You know, and then we, uh, we, we found this like absolutely killer deal on, on a building that we thought we were gonna use to be able to launch Union Church. And it was one of those deals where it's like, we can't pass this up. So we put an offer on the building. Uh, and then a couple of days later, our, our offer got totally rejected. We're like, man, what, what's going on? Uh, and then literally the next day, uh, this country, specifically the state, I mean, we, we went into that stay-at-home lockdown order and we were just like relieved that that didn't happen. Uh, and then within two months, having a conversation with a couple other pastors, uh, was, was chatting with this pastor in Flint Township and he, uh, he told us that we would be able to use his building for free to be able to host uh, our services for, for Union Church. It was definitely, uh, I didn't see it coming sort of a moment. Uh, in week one, we, we took a look at a story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. And we were talking about this idea that there's, there's often significant breakthrough on the other side of trials and hardships and sufferings. And you know whether it's, whether it's God who intentionally brings about some of these trials or, or he simply uses them. I mean, isn't it just... So incredible how our loving Heavenly Father, He can use absolutely any situation as a teachable moment to help us become uh, the best version of ourselves. Well, this week we're going to take a, a, a little bit of a different slant on suffering and hardships because I'm, I'm sure that there's probably some of us that would call Grumlaw home uh, that, that just feel like, man, I just, I just can't catch a break. But, but then because Grumlaw is a, a church where people are constantly inviting friends and loved ones, there's probably some of you checking out here this morning, maybe for the very first time, and, and you feel like, like that's, it, that's what's happening to me right now. Like, like one bad thing after another just keeps happening, uh, and it seems like there's, like there's no answer. It, it honestly just kind of feels like there's no hope. Uh, now, I, I got to share with you just real honestly right now, uh, for myself personally, I, I've not really gone through a, a whole ton of of suffering myself, like I've gone through some difficult things. Like uh, I, I blew up both my knees. Praise God, not at the same time. Uh, I, I've lost three of my grandparents. I've watched my dad battle with cancer, things like that. But uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've even been in third world countries where I've seen people like living in garbage dumps, or in this country, even interacted with with countless uh, homeless people. But but for myself, uh, I've not really had had a ton of suffering for me. Like personally, um, but but this past fall, there's something that happened in our family, and it was, and it, it was really intense, and it definitely really impacted me. But but for my wife, it just it just broke her. I mean, she was really going through a season of of suffering. So I've asked her if uh, if she would join me uh, and share a little bit about what happened, about how it impacted her, uh, and and about 
what got you through this, this season of, of suffering. So first of all, Laura, thank you so much for, for being here, for being willing to, to share with us, uh, you know, this, this experience. And I know, especially in talking about seasons of suffering, like it can, it can be kind of uh, intense. I really appreciate mm-hmm. your willingness to share this part of your heart uh, with us. So uh, set the stage for us. What, mm-hmm. what was happening in our lives uh, that kind of brought you to this point of, of brokenness? Yeah, um, we, uh, we had sent our kids to a new school and um, it was, you know, it's hard. It's always hard when kids have to go to new schools, but our kids had changed schools. I think it was like three times in a year, two years and uh, come to find out that one of our kids was being physically bullied on the playground and another kid was feeling just really lonely and, you know, would ask kids, hey, do you want to hang out with me? Do you want to play? And just feeling like deep sense of rejection. Yeah. Okay. So um, what, uh, w- w- with all of this going on, right, I mean, and, and specifically with this, like the physical bullying, um, we, we had just gone on the, the Grumlaw staff retreat. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom was watching our kids, and we were very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then she calls us and says, hey, like, it just got real intense. Yep. This is what happened. Uh, so you, you called the principal, mm-hmm. um, and obviously as, as mama bear, right, mm-hmm. had some expectations of what was going to happen. Right. Uh, so share with us a little bit, like, like what were you expecting to happen mm-hmm. uh, based on your phone call with the principal, and then what actually happened? Yeah, well, we had we'd gone into the Grumlaw staff retreat. I had just found out the night before that one of our kids was being physically bullied on the playground, um, punched, kicked, you name it. And uh, then we decided it was the best thing for us to do to go ahead, go on the retreat, like Jason said, called the principal. And yeah, I definitely expected (laughs) that justice was going to be served. Um, And, you know, I was like, okay, so these kids, these bullies are going to be, you know, disciplined and thrown out of school and my kids are going to be protected. And um, yeah, then my mother-in-law called and said, hey, this situation happened on the playground. It sounds like it's getting a little bit worse. And it was just heartbreaking and then I got a call from someone uh in the administration at the school and he was essentially like I'm sorry your your son can't identify the people who was bullying were bullying him so we pretty much can't do much we'll just keep an extra eye on it and that absolutely broke me because here I was hours away I couldn't do anything and I'm wondering like am I complete failure for um sending my kids to yet another school and like I can't even protect my own children and so um it was just a really really awful feeling to know that your kids are being um victims of something that you can't control and you have no power over even though you're trying to do everything you can to take care of them yeah yeah and and obviously like I mean this this certainly hurt my heart you know as dad but um but it broke you in a way that, like, I, yeah. I don't think, even now, um, I don't know that I can really fully grasp. Yeah. So as you were kind of processing all this, like, what was it that carried you through this season of suffering? Yeah. Well, so we were on the Grumlaw staff retreat, and um, it was incredibly uncomfortable for me. Obviously, I get emotional a lot. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't mind getting emotional, but being that broken, that sad, that upset, um, in front of so many people was really hard for me. 
And, you know, we would be trying to sit around and singing worship songs. And, like, all I could do was bawl. I was literally just sitting there bawling my eyes out. And um, so having, being there was the best thing we could have done because, like, in a way it wasn't logical. In a way it didn't make sense to, like, go away when that was happening. But we were surrounded by believers who were literally carrying us in like upholding us, me, in prayer, and just being there for us. Um, I think, too, just all the years of spending that, you know, daily encounter, that daily time with Jesus, like that carries you through. That that builds up and that collects because then you know his goodness. You know that you can trust him. You know that he is faithful. And so I didn't have to wonder, like, God, are you still on the throne? God, are you still good? Like, I could have complete confidence. Like, yes, my world is shattered and it feels like the rug was just torn out from underneath me. And I really hate this right now, but God is still good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Man, Laura, thank you. Thank you so much for, yeah. for sharing this. Hey, will you guys just, right now in your living rooms, just give it up for Laura and just her, her willingness to, to share her heart uh, as she went through this. So thank you, dear. Appreciate it. You know, I, I, I think that there is a ton of great principles uh, in this experience for sure. You know, I and it really hits on what we're going to be talking about this morning, right? When, when stuff like this happens, and, and honestly, stuff that's like way worse than this, uh, when, when it seems like there's just like an unrelenting storm, when it's just like one thing after another, and we're, we're asking ourselves like, how, how are we even going to survive? I mean, there, there's, there's honestly, there's a ton of questions that we tend to ask ourselves. You know, I, I think one of them is, is where, where is God in all of this, right? Where is God in all of this? Or what's, what's the point? What's the point in all of this suffering that I'm experiencing? Or, or how, how am I supposed to respond, right? What, what, what am I supposed to respond? I, I think then there's also, there's others of us that, that kind of walk into that place of, of like blaming God when some of this stuff happens. Right? I mean, if, if God is good and he's, he's loving, like why is he allowing all of this to happen? Or, or maybe, maybe you've gone as, as far as to like wonder, like did I do something to, to cause all of this intense suffering, or, or maybe we've gone to that dark place of saying, God, like, did you cause, did you cause this suffering? I mean, if, if God's supposed to be in control of everything, right? Well, several weeks ago, we were in the middle of this series, I, I want to believe, but uh, Shay asked, uh, you know, the, the, these questions, and he, he was talking about uh, suffering, and he, and he introduced that, and, and I would encourage you to actually go to grumlaw.com slash messages, because, because Shay was talking about the heartless God, this, this God that doesn't even exist, uh, and he introduced a, a brand new way of talking about and thinking about suffering, and that's what we're going to do. This morning, we're going to go a little deeper. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into this topic of suffering, and, and this morning, we're going to look at this Old Testament story of this guy named Job. Uh, now, just a little bit of context. Job, uh, it's believed by scholars, actually lived before Abraham. And so if you're familiar with like the biblical stories, uh, Abraham is found in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. And Job is actually kind of somewhere in the middle of the Old Testament, but it's believed that the story, what, what actually happened, uh, happened before Abraham lived. And, and the story of Job is a story of this guy who suffered, suffered maybe more than like anyone else. Ever. And so before we dive into this like kind of sensitive topic, let's, would you allow me to, to pray uh, before we dive in? 
Father, I, I just ask that, that even right now, God, would you, would you just quiet our hearts? God, would you help us uh, to hear from you this morning as, as, we, look, as we look into the story of Job and, and what he experienced and, and would the lessons uh, that he learned be, be something that can change our lives and help us to follow you more closely? Pray all this to your name. Amen. All right, so we're just going to jump right in. Job chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5. It says, There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He, he feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. Job's sons would, would take turns preparing feasts in their homes. They would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. Uh, when these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So, so this guy, he, he loved Jesus. I mean, he, he loved God. He, he spent time every single day developing this relationship with God. Uh, and, and he wanted to make sure that his kids were in good standing with God too. Uh, and, and I mentioned in this passage about, about the burnt offerings. And, and so just for a little bit of context, uh, in, this, in this time, they had burnt offerings. They also had uh, offerings where they would, they would slaughter animals. And the whole sacrificial system, it was set up as a way for them to, to temporarily make things right with God. Be because in that, they knew that God was promising and had promised that, there, that he would send a permanent solution for their sin problem. Uh, and so every time that they would offer a burnt offering, it was a way for them to acknowledge that God was going to fix everything one day. That one day when Jesus came, that Jesus would offer that permanent solution for their sin problem. So, so here's this guy, Job, who loved God. He was trying to raise his kids to also love God. And, and tell you what, what comes next? No one could have seen that coming. So we're going to pick up in verse 6. Says, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked. Satan answered, I've been patrolling the earth. I've been watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but, but Job ha has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you can test him, the Lord said. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. 
Okay, so, so this, is, this is one of those sections of the Bible that is absolutely a I didn't see that coming sort of a thing. I mean, seriously, did, did you catch what just happened? I mean, first of all, and I don't fully understand this, but Satan, he appears in God's court. Uh, I don't really understand what it means by God's court. Uh, and without really making a bigger like theological stand uh, on this than is warranted, I mean, I-, I hope that you caught what happened there. I mean, Satan is required to present himself to God. So, so at least in this instance, and I don't know if this happened regularly or not, uh, but at least at this moment, Satan is being questioned by God about his activities on earth. And then like, I mean, God starts like flexing. It's almost like a proud dad moment where, where God's like, hey, Satan, did, did you see that guy, Job? Do you see my bud, Job? Like he is, he is blameless, a, a man of complete integrity. He, he fears me and, and Satan, he stays away from you. Like he and I are tight, right? And, and, and God says the thing that he's most proud of is Job's integrity. Right? That Job's an honest man, that he loves truth, and he flees from the things that are wrong and evil and sin and untrue. And, and then when, when Satan questions God, I mean, he, he's basically challenging, uh, challenging God that the only reason that Job is actually a man of integrity is that God has been, God has been protecting him from, from all this bad stuff and, and, and because of his enormous wealth. Okay, but, but think about it for a moment. If, if you have an adult son that's doing really well for himself, he's, he's walking with Jesus, he's a great dad, he's a great husband, he's, he's a great influence in the community, maybe he's even a leader at your church, and then someone were to like challenge you, calling your son a fake or a phony or a fraud, telling you that, that he's only that way because of this or that, like, I mean, you'd stand up for him, right? I mean, you, you would want to defend his honor. And, and so that, that's what God's doing. And, and in that moment, God, God grants Satan permission. He's like, man, like test, test my guy, test Job. I mean, see, is it, it, I don't think it's his wealth. That's not why he's faithful. That's not why he's an honorable man. Uh, God, God is saying, I believe that, that Job is a man of integrity because of his relationship with Jesus. And so Satan goes at it. Uh, in, in verse 15, Job Lost 1,000 oxen, 500 donkeys. He also lost all of the servants that were working with those oxen and donkeys. And in verse 16, he lost all 7,000 sheep and all the servants. In verse 17, he lost all 3,000 of his camels and all the ser- servants. And then in verse 18, he, he lost all 10 of his kids. And I'm sure some of us can maybe relate on some level because we've gone through things like that. It was like one thing after another. All, all of this happened to, to Job and was reported to him within a matter of just a couple hours. And I mean, it just would have been so entirely devastating. But, but how he responds is, is incredible. Let's take a look at verses 20 through 22. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground to worship. And he, he said, I, have, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The, the Lord gave, the Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. 
And then Job chapter two, it opens up with the same sort of like a court scene. Uh, And Satan appears again, only this time, like he's orchestrated that Job has lost absolutely everything. And he again questions God uh, and questions Job's integrity and says, hey, God, like the only reason that Job is still faithful to you is, is because he still has his health. That's why he's still faithful. All right, Satan, go for it. Just don't kill him. In the next couple of verses, what happens is, is intense. And, and then even in, in Job chapter two, verse nine, I mean, even Job's wife begins questioning Job. Like, Job, why are you still holding on to your integrity? What, why are you still like trusting in God? Like even his wife didn't understand. And then for the next 34 chapters, it's, it's like a back and forth between Job and his friends. And his friends are trying to like give him advice and trying to help him figure out like why is all this stuff happening? And the whole time, Job refuses to curse God and give up his integrity. The whole time, Job chooses to trust God. But, but it, it's, it's not like Job liked what was happening. I mean, no, this is, this is intense. This is horrible. It, it's, it's, not like, it's not like Job had some sort of like a super spiritual like joy during this intense season of suffering. No, no, but, but Job trusted God. It was an illogical trust, at, at least according to Job's friends. They, they couldn't figure it out. They had all sorts of reasons why Job should just like give it up, but he didn't. Jo- Job chose to trust God through tragedy. And not, not because there was some sort of prize on the other side, but because, because Job knew that in the chaos, that God was the only constant. It, it was trusting through tragedy that made it possible for Job to, to move, to breathe, to even exist. It, it was Job's trust in God that, that through this tragedy, that, that, that highlighted his integrity, right? That his trust in God, man, it, was, it revealed his true character. And then, then something just absolutely crazy, something totally unexpected happened. I mean, it was definitely one of those didn't see it coming sort of things. Like there, there's this crazy whirlwind that starts happening, this storm that builds, uh, and, and God answers Job. I mean, Job had been asking all the same sorts of questions that, that we ask in our times of suffering. And, and, and here, here's how Job, here's how God responds to Job. It's from Chapter 38, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses here uh, from the New Living Translation. It says says in verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, "Who, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? Job, brace yourself like a man, because I've got some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations, and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst forth from the womb? As as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness. For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here, you proud waves must stop. (laughs) Man, this must have been intense. And, and, And like in this moment, God, God takes a breath. God takes a breath. And, and here, here's, how, here's how God 
Here's how Job responded. I mean, this must have been the longest, like 30 minutes of Job's life. And and here's how he responds. He says, then Job replied to the Lord, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. How how could I ever find the answers? I'm going to cover my mouth with my hand. I have I've said too much already. I have nothing more to say. And then then God continues. He continues. He says says the same thing. He's like, Job, brace yourself like a man. I got some questions for you. Uh, I'm going to pick up uh, in, in chapter 41. So God continues asking these sorts of questions. And then in verse 41, he says, can you catch Leviathan with a hook? Um, now, the, the closest description that I've seen of the Leviathan is, is the Kraken from the Pirates of the Caribbean. So if you kind of got that mental picture in your mind, God, God says, can you catch Leviathan with a hook or put a nose around his jaw? Can you tie it with a rope through the nose or pierce his jaw with a spike? Will it beg you for mercy or implore you for pity? Will it agree to work for you, to be your slave for life? Can you make it like a pet? Or give it to your little girls to play with. I can only imagine what that would have been like. And and as God finishes, here's how Job responds. In Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. It says, then Job replied to the Lord, "I, I know that you can do anything. And no one can stop you. You asked. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. God, I, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eye. I, I take back, take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Man. This man, he he faced maybe more suffering than probably anyone has ever faced, maybe in all of history. And with this intense season of suffering came some intense questions. And and like at at, at first. At first, you, you might lean towards maybe being a little bit mad at God <laughs> because of his response. Like, like God, you, you didn't answer a single one of his questions. God, you haven't answered a single one of my questions. I still don't know why I got diagnosed with that. I still don't know why she had to die. God, why did this happen to my family? Why are my kids getting bullied? And then as as I read the magnitude of who God is throughout the response that God gave to Job, it just just hit me. Like, if God would have actually answered Job, the questions that he was asking, if if God would answer answer us the questions we're asking, I, I don't think that the answers would really help. What's absolutely insane, what's kind of like bonkers to me, what, what blows my mind is that God answered. The, the same God who, who like walks into the storehouses of, of snow and hail and rain and determines, okay, it's Tuesday, that much. Like that God 
The, the God who can make a Leviathan a pet for his little girls. He tells the morning when to come and when to go. He, he tells the oceans how far to stretch and when to stop. This God heard Job. This God, he saw Job. This God, he was with Job the whole time. The, the idea that this God, this magnificent, all-powerful, all-knowing, this good, just, and loving God, that, that he hears me when I'm suffering, that he sees me in my time of need, man, that's powerful. That's so much better than an answer. It's an, an intimate an intimate relationship with God. It's so much better than an answer. The reality is that, that Jesus, he walks with you through your suffering. In the story about Job, we, we see that, that God is intimately involved in Job's life. And, and then as we fast forward several thousand years and we see all throughout Jesus's earthly ministry, and he would go and meet with people in their suffering. He would, he would weep with them. He would, just, he would sit and listen to people's stories. Jesus fully entered into the human experience. Jesus, the, the second person of the Trinity, right? You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus became 100% human so that we would know that he knows. And now, and now Jesus, he sits at the right hand of our heavenly father. And Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to live within every single Jesus follower that we might have full access to God. And starting this relationship with Jesus, guys, it's the same today as it was in the days of Job. It, it's as simple as trust. For, for Job, he trusted that God would provide a permanent solution. He, he was looking in the future. He trusted God's promise that he would provide a permanent solution for his sin problem. Job was trusting that one day Jesus would come. And, and for us, we're, we're told in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, that if we openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that God, that God made us right with him and is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So, so guys, starting this relationship with God, it's, it's simply trusting that Jesus paid the price for your sin. And then when he rose from the dead three days later, he conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered the grave so that you could have eternal and abundant life. And it's as simple as trusting him. And, and then you, just like Job and so many other Jesus followers for the last 8,000 years, you, you can have that intimate relationship with your heavenly father. We're gonna, we're gonna post a, a button in the chat that, that says click here if you wanna trust Jesus for the first time. Or, or we're also gonna say like, you know, you could text the word faith to our church number. Guys, clicking a box, sending a text, that's not what saves you. But there is something that happens within us, right? When we go public with, with our faith, with this trust. But, but if this is you, I mean, if, if you're feeling something tugging on your heart right now, that, that's your heavenly father drawing you to himself. And you can start this relationship with him right now by simply trusting him. You can trust him with your life. 
And you can trust him to take care of your sin problem. But for, for, for those of us who've already started that relationship with him, or, or maybe you just started that relationship with him, that there's going to come a time in our lives where we're going to face suffering. We're going to face some trials, some hardship, and we're going to be tempted to like, to like run away, to, to maybe push God away in those moments. But when we do that, we're, we're actually like running away. We're pushing away this intimacy with our Heavenly Father. We're, we're running away from the very thing that would actually bring us the most comfort. And in doing that, we're prolonging the suffering. We're, we're actually making things worse. As I, as I was studying and preparing for this, I, I came across, across this quote from this guy, Walter Bergman. He says this, he says, the scripture offers a recontextualization whereby suffering is situated in a relationship with God. And in the end, the relationship itself is the be all and end all of faith. The more powerful truth of fidelity or, or faith reconstitutes suffering as meaningful to drown, block, eliminate the pain of suffering through modern technological and medical advances. It prevents us from experiencing the full impact of the community of faith and the God of faith being the balm to our suffering. And we can mask the physical pain while prolonging the impact of the mental and emotional pain leading to longer, more deadly results. As there, there's three things, three lessons we can learn and three things that we can do as a result of this. Uh, one, guys, your, your daily encounter, it's the single most important thing in your life. Okay, guys, building your relationship with God every single day, man, that's what's going to build that strength to be able to trust him through the suffering. It, this was, I mean, it was central for Laura to be able to trust God through, through that season of suffering. And, and it's what got Job through too. The second thing, guys, surround yourself with friends who also trust God and who have prioritized their relationship with God. I mean, I know for Laura and I, like, this has made our marriage super strong. <laughs> but, but for Job and for his friends and even his wife, like, they had such a warped view of God that, that they were really, they were trying to lead Job down a very dark path. I, I know for Laura, being around the Grumlaw staff that weekend, I mean, it turned out to be an incredible blessing knowing that she, that, that we had friends who were praying for us and, and supporting us through this. And the third thing, trust God through the tragedy. Trust God through the tragedy. Guys, answers are rarely gonna make things better. But if we can remember that the God who commands the weather, the morning and the Leviathan, that he is for you and that you can trust him. Guys, trust is active. When we trust God through the tragedy, it's an active daily reminder, speaking that truth over us. Guys, that will enable us to maintain our integrity and to maintain our identity. Trust God through the tragedy.